0: I'm go and welcome to DesignCast, a podcast where I interview a wide range of excellent guests in design and STEAM education to get their unique perspectives. My name is Jason Regan and I use my 20 plus years of experience as a design educator to dig deep. Into complex issues. This podcast has one simple mission to create a community of people around the world that are interested in design and STEAM education. Each episode, I chat with guests from all corners of the design world, from classroom teachers to authors and even to educational consultants. We discuss a wide range of topics that we feel are relevant today. I do want to ask you that if you're enjoying this podcast, please leave a review, rate, subscribe, share, or download from your favorite podcasting app. This helps the podcast get discovered by listeners that might not find it otherwise. Also, it helps me to continually define the direction of future guests and episodes. All right, welcome back to another episode of DesignCast. This is episode 45, which is absolutely just shocking to me that we have been on such a long journey together in such a short time. And so I hope that you're continuing to enjoy what we have to offer you on DesignCast. So this week, I had the great opportunity to speak to John Zobrist. John is the K-12 Head of Innovation at UWC East Campus in Singapore, and he brings more than two decades of experience nurturing student innovators to identify social, environmental, and economic problems and apply design thinking and creative concepts to improve individuals and communities. We had an awesome time talking about his journey into education and what his vision is for the future in his new role. I'm confident that you will enjoy listening to what he has to say. Remember to check the show notes to find out more about how to contact him. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy this chat with John.
1: This podcast is a proud
0: member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com. Now let's get on to the episode. Welcome back to another episode of DesignCast, and I'm absolutely humbled and thrilled to have John Zobris with me here today. John, how are you?
1: I'm very well, Jason. Thanks for inviting me.
0: It's such a pleasure to have you, John. I know we have a lot of common connections across this very small world that we call design education, and I'm sure we'll get into that. So can you just tell everybody a little bit about where you currently are teaching and what you're doing?
1: Yeah, thanks, Jason. I'm currently at the United World College in Singapore. I'm at the East Campus, which started in 2012, and I've been there since 2012 as the head of design.
0: Fantastic. And I know that you have a new role, and we're going to get into that in a little bit. But I want to ask you a little bit about how you became an educator or what led you to that?
1: Basically, I did a very traditional route. I've been listening to your great show, Jason, and it's amazing how a lot of the guys got into teaching in a, in a very long directional way. But mine, basically, very, very straightforward. I, I was very passionate about d design and technology in the UK. I was very passionate about, you know, as a, as a junior school kid, taking things apart, putting things together, working with building things out of Lego and Meccano kits and playing things with Airfix kits. And then basically, when I went from Switzerland to the UK, I went to a place called Fleetwood in the mid 80s and started secondary school there. And back then it was a subject called CDT, uh, which was craft design and technology, which was a real uh, mishmash of, you know, wood, metal, plastic work, graphical, technical drawing, textiles, fashions, food, nutrition, a real mishmash of things. And I really I really enjoyed the, the whole practical approach to it. Basically, went all the way through with uh, doing my GCSEs in that, my, my A-levels. I had a hugely supportive uh, D&T team there, teachers who were very, very, very passionate about forward-thinking, things at the time i mean we are clearly remember we were one of the only schools who had one of the first max lc2s and you know it's just an incredible thing to go through compared to like your normal lessons where you just stuck in front of a pretty tedious boring lessons for me so i really enjoyed the, the problem solving things from that so i did my a levels in dt did that with with ross mcgill who you've had on the show and we basically both got told by the dt teachers at the fleetwoods High school to go and do a teaching degree in D and T, and that's how we—that's what we did. I, I went off to Sheffield Hallam University to do a Bachelor of Education. Thoroughly enjoyed every every moment of it, and again, really because of my background and interest in you know sports and thrill-seeking sports like skiing and rock climbing and mountain biking and all those kind of things. I really just loved that part of the world as well in terms of building bikes. And then I ended up working in a bike shop for many years and going to bike exhibitions and just seeing how you know material science is developed those products and making them lighter and making things better. And it's just really there And I just wanted to be more involved in that. So, yeah, I went to went to Sheffield and, and I did my four-year Bachelor of Education degree in Design and Technology Secondary Education. Yeah. And I finished that back in 97. That's when I finished that. Yeah.
0: You know, I love to hear about these journeys that people take and to hear that you had time in a bike shop and you tinkered around with those things and were, you know, asking questions about how materials work together and things like that. I mean, I, I think that's something a lot of times that our students are missing in their extra school life, you know, outside of school. They don't get a lot of times those experience. Do you kind of feel the same way?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, here at UWC, I actually ran it for two years. I ran an after school activity, basically just repairing bikes. So we're a pretty big campus. You know, we've got nearly 3,000 students on campus. We've got a boarding house. We've got security. We've got, there's quite a lot of bikes that come on and off campus and then a lot of them are locked up and then left and then abandoned. So we basically I organised like an activity where we upcycle and repair old abandoned bicycles and try and then give them back to the community. And it was actually phenomenal how many both boys and girls wanted to be part of that, just to learn how to change an inner tube or change a tyre or you know change Mm -hmm. a chain. So so much learning, and again, you know, it's hands on. We're a very lucky school. We've got amazing, gifted, talented academic students. Mm. All of our guys go into the IB diploma. Nearly 300 and something students that do the diploma every year. But there's not many <laughs> schools that do that. So wow. to get those guys to focus on a bit of hands-on and actually see the purpose of what this, you know, the end bite is going to be given to charity or given given to, to somebody as mm. well is a great accomplishment. But I agree, there's not enough hands-on. Mm-hmm. Just simple things like cha- changing a t- Changing an inner tube on a bike, you'd be surprised how kids just like, they're they're, they're so blown away when you take that tire Mm -hmm. off the rim in a second. (laughs) They just can't believe it, you know. So, But, you know, it's not YouTube video. It's actually, you know, and we had had a great uptake. We had about 30 kids take that. And we did that for two semesters at a time and got crazy. We ran out of bikes to fix in the end. So we had to... (laughs) (laughs)
0: absolutely oh man that's great i love to hear about these practical things like that so that's kind of how you got to where you are what's your kind of what's been your professional journey as far as how you came to singapore
1: yeah so i've been very fortunate jason I, i got an amazing job i mean i was actually very to start before singapore my final my first two years in in blackpool teaching there which was a pretty hardcore school blackpool is like the las vegas of england it's you know we have an interesting blend of students that are coming in there a lot of them are seasonal people that come in just to run those uh, casinos and stalls for the for the summer season. So they they bring the they bring their kids along and then they're literally only there for a few terms. So that was a real eye opener. My four year degree gave me a lot of uh, extensive experience as well all around Sheffield and and, and the Yorkshire, South Yorkshire area as well. So a real diverse range of schools. But um, I always wanted to teach abroad. My mum and dad both had been teaching at working abroad. So I was pretty quickly looking to go overseas. And and the job with the ESF in Hong Kong came up and I went over there in 1999 to South Island School. I went over as a just a normal design to order teacher. And what was really cool was there was a guy there who was coming to his retirement age and they gave me then the opportunity to be like a acting head of faculty in my second year of being there so I ended up being at South Island for, for seven years and i you know the mm-hmm. network that the ESF has got within Hong mm-hmm. Kong is incredible I mean it's in terms of all the d teachers you have in a, such a small populated <laughs> city and the support yeah. that they had was just was fantastic so I, I really enjoyed working there and again very dynamic team young enthusiastic d teachers great kids great resources none of the negativity that you, you were getting in the UK with d as a subject why would you not want stay so that's what i did i stayed mm-hmm. there and, and really enjoyed enjoyed the work there and then i got a we, we had a we had a bit of an issue with pollution in hong kong at the time as well mm-hmm. so this mm-hmm. was we just had a i had my son was born and we just wanted to try something else so we actually went to the middle east for a year we, we I went to st christopher's in bahrain kingdom of bahrain tiny country tiny place uh, you can literally travel it around in a, in a weekend it was actually a, a fantastic school but we didn't really have much to go for it as a, as a country as with a young family so luckily I managed to get poached to go back to Hong Kong and then I ended up going to um, West Island School as the head of faculty for the for the for design and technology mm. and I did six years there and again during that six years I also became the curriculum manager for the ESF group for design and technology mm. secondary which I did for four years that was an incredible journey because I was able to organize professional development for for teaching staff for d teachers twice a year I actually introduced support staff to have professional development as well so that was uh, something that never mm-hmm. happened before so getting the technicians in to come into coming to some of our sessions some of our meetings and a lot of those PDs were we would go up to China and you know we'd go to an injection mm-hmm. molding mm-hmm. plant or a die casting plant or we'd go and see a food production line where like Pizza Express to see how they do chill blast right. freezing so a lot of authentic things that then we can mm-hmm. bring back to the classroom so that really helped me build a real network of you know expertise within the, within the ESF and, and that was great and also I managed to get people in from overseas to run sessions Mm-hmm. On uh, you know we had Brian Russell in to do some GCSE work. We had Dave Ardley came in before that as well to mm-hmm. do some IB stuff. So we had a lot of different people coming in and out uh, to, to show to share the expertise as well. But I think my point is you know I've been very lucky to work with schools that have got the funding and management are backing everything. They're saying well we we can see the point of doing this, and I think that's something that has really helped my career. And I know that there's been colleagues who well there's even now people banging their head against the wall where the leadership yeah. team don't quite get what this subject is about. And how important <laughs> it is for students to be doing what they're doing, you know. So it makes sense. Anyway, and then and then from that I came to Singapore in
0: 2012. What a journey, man. I'll tell you, I can't say enough good things about ESF and the programs that they run. And you know, it's funny because in Asia, it's you mentioned this that there's not the pushback on DT that you find in a lot of other regions in the world. And I think it's because they see the value. I think too, a lot of the parents are involved, and in, at least if it's not directly in DNT type careers, it's somehow really related to that. And, you know, it, you mentioned about being able to go into mainland China and see injection molding and, and to see factories and things. And those are things you can't really do in a lot of other places. And so I think that it is a hotbed and it is a, a really fertile soil for folks to learn, you know, to really do a lot of good things with DNT. and so have you found that to be true in Singapore as well?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just going back to Hong Kong, we were working with uh, Philips and we were able just to go into mm. their R&D department where they're prototyping and modeling and doing all the testing and things you know at the time it was a level students to be able just to go in there and actually see these guys actually doing the work and what it looks like and and seeing that it's you know exactly very closely tied to what the design process is all about was one thing but on a a Mm. second thing is um, what was a big eye-opener for me when i was in singapore here in my second year 2014 i basically organized the international dt conference which was which was a huge success we had 160 delegates we had the ministry of um, education from brunei malaysia singapore and indonesia Mm. here with that we also i also invited members from the uk from the dnt association so we had quite a few of those guys come in to me it was a bit of a shock it felt like i'd been out of the uk maybe too long even though i've been a very strong active member of the dnt association but we had a presenter who talked about you know craft how dnt is so important to be teaching craft skills and technical skills and to me it just didn't make sense because in Asia, the kids don't, you know, our kids don't tend to go and become carpenters or plumbers or right. electricians. Right. I mean, that's just that's just the way it is in mm-hmm. in Singapore and Hong Kong and probably probably most other parts of Asia. Most of our kids are very, you know, very looking and are able to go and do higher education and are very academic. But this is where I realized that the UK, this is where they've been flogging a dead, dead horse basically because they're, they're trying to promote the subjects to kids who are less academic and less able. And I think, I mean, there's been a lot of talk about this and a lot of stuff written and, and I've commented a lot of things here as well but there's a lot of stuff in the UK that could have gone the other way if they would have just promoted it more towards you know the programming the systems yeah. the design thinking those kind of things rather sure. than let's stick to the traditional craft and making so I think that's the world we live in here in Asia yeah. with D&T and D&T is thriving I mean schools are throwing money at but if, if D&T isn't happening I mean I know I keep mentioning D&T if it's not D&T <laughs> then it's a maker space or, or right, the, right, right. you exactly. know an, or incubation yeah, lab it's something else sure. uh, because d is an expensive subject to set up. It doesn't have sure to it be. Is. It doesn't have to be. That's the fear by a lot of leadership teams. But again, once you've got something in place and, and you get in- enterprise involved and businesses and partners coming in, like here we've got, you know, we've got the head of Google here, we've got Facebook, we've got grab AI people as parents. I've got people mm-hmm. who are doing VR and AR and all this stuff. And it's just, you know, I've just got to get the parents into school, obviously, once COVID goes mm-hmm. away. But what an opportunity to use actually the yeah. real world again and to get these students absolutely enthusiastic about something they can make a relationship to rather than let's make some wooden boxes and let's work out a wood joint, you know. <laughs> what wood joint, guys, are going to use on the exactly. Like, What's the bloody point? So yeah, yeah, that's just my view.
0: I think that you're you're on the right track as far as your train of thought there. And I think design thinking in that protocol or whatever protocol you decide to choose, or whatever process, I think that's what we have to really focus on a lot of, of instances, you know, because rarely are any of my students or your students going to become plumbers or become factory workers, but they will be working with plumbers and factory workers. Yeah. And so it's about knowing how to work with those folks and, and to have the the communication skills, the collaboration skills, those kinds of things to make that to happen. And empathy is a big part of that, I feel like. And I Absolutely. think that's something we have to really push is the, the whole empathy aspect. And so, wow, that's exciting. I love to hear how you've come to where you are. It sounds like you and I've been in Asia around the same amount of time because I came in 99. And have been back and forth a lot too. And so, tell me about the design and the DNT program that's happening at your school.
1: So yeah, I'm here at East Campus, and we work fairly closely with Dover. We've got Carl Warren there as the head of DT. We are very fortunate here because we're not tied to any national curriculum. We don't have to follow the Singapore curriculum. We don't have to follow the UK curriculum or anything like this. We've had we've got this amazing flexibility to to have been able to write our own curriculum. So you know, back in 2013 or something, 14, after, just after I got everything set up here we uh, basically articulated our own K to 12 t curriculum and we looked at things like the ib and we looked at the a level and the hse in australia and design courses in south africa and all over all over the world and it's really you know design thinking courses d school courses mit school so we had we had this uh, amazing opportunity to basically look and benchmark our own our own curriculum and that's what we've i think again that's why we've been able to be quite flexible with what we're doing especially in middle school you know where we want kids like i said before we don't want us to be the sage on the stage we want us to be like the guide on the side where we're not focusing on craft based products where they're all making the beautiful same thing and going home with exactly the same thing you know we in middle school we're really getting students to focus and work in teams and work like real design teams collaborating and getting to project manage and budget and problem solve together and actually achieve a feasible outcome to a problem that they can actually relate to than some kind of far-fetched world that they don't know so that's what we've mainly been doing in middle school unfortunately we only get 80 minutes a week time with the with the middle school students because it's on a weekly timetable thing it does it's not great we'd love it to be twice a week but because of that greater exposure to DT closer mm-hmm. rather than a, than a week mm-hmm. apart doesn't really help them but in high school so what we're doing if I, if I talk about grade 9 and 10 we are currently doing IGCSE the Cambridge courses we offer food and nutrition resistant materials and systems control system control is huge combined with all those courses we have about 140 students that do that in grade 9 we are looking at a college to actually ditch the IGCSE and come up with our own grade nine ten program which is going to be very exciting because for us the IGCSE is a, is a large wall so if Mm -hmm. i can explain that let me explain Mm a bit better so we do the ib diploma i absolutely love i enjoy all the topics i can see the relationships to industry and the real world and then we do a similar thing in middle school but then we have this thing in the middle of the igcc so in the next couple of years as we start developing our own grade 9 10 program design thinking program we can sort of make that blending in a bit better than than what Mm -hmm. it is now
0: You know, I think a lot of schools, and and I'm thinking now about maybe schools that do IB just in general, struggle with that building of a curriculum sometimes because they've been told they have this framework, but they don't have the content you know, or the standards to go with that. So when you guys endeavored in 2014-ish or whatever to begin creating these benchmarks, what was that process like? What did you use? Did you use the IGSC to build it on or what was your overarching skeleton, so to speak?
1: Yeah, it was pretty tough. I mean, we spent we, we spent about 3 months individually doing a lot of research into current curriculums all around the world. We decided to actually reverse engineer from the IB diploma course, but not every part of it. So obviously in grade 11, mm-hmm. 12, we have to use those uh, conceptual understandings and elaborations from the IB. And then the GCSE one, we actually the grade 9, 10 one, we basically kept that pretty blank because we knew we were moving away from the IGCSE model. So we've basically tried to then bring the IB down in- into middle school and we looked at the bigger concepts of sustainability, what the design process is. We looked at the materials and the manufacturing. And then also obviously, you know, computational thinking, those kind of things as well, which is mm-hmm. something that the IB are going to move into as well with the new mm-hmm. guide, which mm-hmm. I'm also part of. We need to make it more local focused. Yeah. So that's what we've also tried to do. But then also then getting the elaborations of getting actually student when we asking students to do this particular thing, what would it look like What is the evidence going to look like so we can then also build the assessment? took a long time, man. It took about 18 months to to do all that work. And that was with a team of about six people and cross-campus working with Dover as well and regular meetings. And then from Mm -hmm. that, building our own sort of UWC curriculum. And then in that, working out which part of a particular project is a student being a critical thinker or a self-manager or all these kind Mm -hmm. of things as well. That took a long time and it was well worth it because what helped... With that process is getting everybody on board and everybody understanding the vision. I've been very, very lucky that my team since 2000 and 2012 to 13, and then from 2013 onwards we've had a team and we've had pretty much the same guys within the team all the time. So it's, that's that's been a, that's been very helpful. I've not had a, I've not had a lot of movement with staff. Yeah, and we, we we revisit it. Obviously, it's really important to revisit those benchmarks and and just see what else is going on. so we're still looking at what you know the national curriculum looks like. We're still looking at what the IB are looking. We looking at the MYP. How different courses are assessing things. I mean I think the MIP is a bit of an overkill with the assessment, but you know, that's and then you lose you lose what it's all about again. So I think, you know, I'm yeah. so lucky at UWC <laughs> because they just they just trust they just trust the teachers to know what we're looking for. And mm. you know, we're all professionals at the end of the day and, and as long as we we've got you know targets that are credible. I think we're absolutely fine,
0: you know, to do that. Absolutely, man. You're speaking my language because I think that, you know, in many cases, design and D&T are not given the same amount of time in the timetable. And yet they're asked to do the same amount of work with more kids. (laughs) In In a lot of cases, you know, there's not a lot of pullout kids, there's not a lot of kids who are going to ESL classes at the time, or it does make a lot of challenges, especially when you want to do some practical things and some skills building and, and whatnot. So, yeah, I was just curious because that's something I think a lot of schools struggle with is that whole how you develop those progressive yeah. benchmarks, yeah. you know, and, and and how do you measure them and and that kind of thing. And, you know, maybe sometimes it's good to go to an external body or maybe it's good to just do something in-house with, you know, what you think your, your local community needs you know and so i was just curious kind of how you did that when you mentioned that and yeah so. and a lot of
1: it depends on frequency as well that's what i was trying to explain the
0: Absolutely. frequency of,
1: if you're only seeing the students once a week the whole year then of course you've got progression naturally through different design challenges but if you're mm. seeing the students like on a carousel system which is the worst mm-hmm. in the world and, you know what term <laughs> one looks like should be completely different to term two and then how do you map all those skills and then get yeah. the progression it's, it's, it's a bloody nightmare right. so yeah we i agree with you we wish we had a bit more time and we've also tried to go across uh, interdisciplinary with some projects as well. But that, again, is a challenge for the other guys with their assessments. So mm-hmm. we're hoping with a grade 9, 10 course that we're going to be developed, start developing. We, there, are some, there are going to be some greater opportunities there, I hope because we'll we'll have more time with the
0: kids. That sounds great. I I mean, I find that to be true too, even at the many schools I've been to, that especially that grade nine and 10 tends to be the the sweet spot because it seems that there's time that opens up for some reason with them a little bit more. I don't know if it's languages or what it is. They tend to get a bit more, there's a bit more flexibility once they start getting into more of a high school age. And so that sounds great. We've talked a lot about that. I want to hear about this new role. I'm really, really excited to hear about this new role that you have. Can you tell us a little bit about that, John?
1: Yeah, so I've got to, um, so I'm going to be, my new title is Head of Innovation. I think it's an absolute shocking title. I really don't understand what it (laughs) quite is. I've sort of researched it. I'll I'll tell you what, I've researched this title, Innovation, and and it's actually quite Mm. frequent, common in a lot of industries. I've got a friend Mm -hmm. of mine who works for Kerry Foods. He's the Head of Innovation and he does some incredible stuff with Ben and Jerry Ice Cream and all this kind of cool stuff. That's not my job, unfortunately, but it's interesting looking at the word innovation. In some schools, it's about, you know, somebody being responsible for digital platforms or for different technologies technologies or implementing, I don't know, Apple products or whatever. Yeah, my, my role, very unique, very different. I'm very fortunate to have had a donor, actually got a parent who's thrown some cash into the foundation, the UWC foundation on our, on our campus and basically promoting innovation within the school. What that means, what that will look like is a two-year role. And hopefully if everything goes well, we'll hope that grant will continue to come, donor will come and we might even end up having a, another building. But what we're doing at the moment is we are looking at linking things up within industry and businesses and and a lot of this is actually quite common maybe in some schools but it's not going to be a curriculum because we have students who are already you know trying to do their IOTs and trying to you know brand things and market things and produce things and upscale things and all these kind of apps and platforms and all these kind of things so it's quite a unique bunch of students who are who just need the guidance to understand how how they can actually get this thing up and running so it's like a startup so I'm I'm like a startup incubation manager but at the same time I'm also going to be bringing in people and getting talks organized from industry you know we've got Dyson here we've got Bosch we've got all sorts of big groups of people but just getting them to come in and tell the story to get students to understand what the real world of work looks like because our international students you know we have over 75 international countries represented uwc here mm-hmm. all sorts of different backgrounds they've got no idea what it really looks like to be an ai manager for a bank or you know whatever this is what innovation will look like at our place where i'll be trying to connect people and get give students who really want the opportunity to, to use and strategize because at the end of the day innovation is a mindset and i think i'm very fortunate to to get this mm-hmm. job because i think with the design thinking mindset and the you know it's all these kind of things. Mm-hmm. For us, it's very natural to you know problem solve mm-hmm. and systems mm-hmm. think and time plan and all these kind of things. But for some for some other people, that sort of creativity takes also a bit a bit longer. So yeah, it's a bit of a complex. Role. I haven't actually started the role yet, so I'm hoping that's the way it's going to go. Um mm-hmm. So if, you know, and it's been great listening to your show, Jason, because you've got <laughs> you know you've got people on. Uh, you've had you've had people on um, like uh, Amanda Presky and Liz Gallo, mm-hmm. you know, and, and their stories and how they're turning e waste into you know a successful product and a successful brand and that's that's innovation okay so innovation isn't just about a particular mm-hmm. product it's how they got there and how how to set up an ip or how to brand it or you know is there any conflict with the school doing this is there any conflict with the ministry of manpower in your country so there's a mm. lot of legality things here as well that we never talk about as teachers you know we, we don't do that as part of our curriculum that's what i'm hoping to be doing and getting some mm. stakeholders involved as well one, one exciting one i want to talk about very quickly is yeah. um is josh tetrick who was a alum speaker at one of our graduate and he's the guy who's just developed the, the chicken that's come from the lab-grown chicken.
0: The lab chicken, yeah. He, he doesn't <laughs> like to
1: cook. Don't tell him i said that. And he also did the egg that doesn't come from a chicken. I don't know if
0: you... Oh, okay. No, I haven't heard of that one.
1: So good... Yeah. So he's like good food. So he's invested... He's investing in production to be in Singapore. And that's going to start very soon. And five of our guys from school actually were the first people in the world to go and taste this in a restaurant just before Christmas. So again, you know, he's a very innovative guy. He's trying to save the planet. And that's what we should be doing, you know, looking at more sustainable ways of doing things. So that's another thing we're going to be looking at, the ways of food production, food innovation, sourcing food all these kind of things as well so wow. lot, lots of stuff on my plate right now I've just got to work yeah. out what to do in what order and that's going to be the challenge for me
0: so you've become a project manager is what you're telling me <laughs>
1: trying to yeah so it's been, it's been tough because at the same time I mean I've been I've been ahead head of DT for 20 years you know a long yeah. time I've been teaching for 23 years I think it's something like that I'm still teaching the IB diploma mm-hmm. okay. because obviously I'm still part of the work I'm doing at The Hague with the curriculum mm-hmm. review group sure so I'm, I'm, I'm glad I'm still doing that but at the end of the day I've, I've had to I'm, I've given up all my responsibility as head of faculty and Kate, who's using uh, who's the team will take that over and she'll do a great job. Mm-hmm. But it's, yes, yeah, it's, it's going to be an interesting journey and, and, and my mindset and you know, my calendar change, everything changes from now. Like my, mm-hmm. I usually know what happens in January, you know, at school. Right, now now sure. I've got to think of, right <laughs> I've got to work things yeah. out. It's good. It's a good challenge. It's going to be good. It's going to be great.
0: That sounds really exciting. You know, one of my roles is also the, com- the career related program coordinator at my school, which is at the same time as the DP. And it sounds a lot like what I do, is I'm having to create time to go out and find opportunities for students to do internships and apprenticeships and connect with professionals. So it sounds quite similar. We'll have to keep in touch. I want to hear all about how that's going to work for you yeah. because that sounds really exciting.
1: Yeah, I think there's a lot of guys that are doing this already, but it's always a bit of an add-on. It's always a, it's always been
0: a bit of yeah. a bolt-on.
1: Like even when I was in Hong Kong, it's always a bit of a bolt-on trying to create these opportunities. Whereas now I've mm-hmm. got, I've got no excuse. I have to go out and get you these have people, to make it know? happen. That's I've right. got to get these guys in. <laughs> <laughs> to squeeze their arms, you know.
0: I feel like you said there's something about there's a limited amount of time that you're going to do this. Is it's not permanent, or what's the what's the plan there?
1: The donor, the way the way the cash works out is basically obviously having to pay for some of my timetabling, and then also hopefully we're going to be doing some like makeathons or hackathons or some events as well in the next two years. Mm-hmm. So it's the timeline's two to three years. I've got to be I've got to be innovating. I mean that's the weird thing. I've got to be taking risks. I've got to be taking gambles, trying things out, mm-hmm. short term, mm-hmm. long term things, but. It's, Fortunately, if it doesn't work out, I'll just go back to my role as head of design. But sure. I, really, I really want this to, to work out and be be incredible because like I, like I mentioned before, you know, the college has got such incredible trust in the profession of all the staff mm-hmm. within the organization to do their absolute best and you know, allow people to take a few risks and gambles and try things out. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. But here mm-hmm. with the projects I've got and the contacts with the parents and the alumni people we've got, we've just got incredible yes. guys connected across the whole UWC platform around the world. Um, I've already been in touch with UWC Changshu and UWC Maastricht mm-hmm. and UWC Dover's already, you know, th- these guys will all be able to help out. And, and as a community, we can hopefully get stuff together that then helps the broader mm-hmm. community as well. So fingers yeah. crossed, Jason, it'll all work out yeah. beautifully.
0: Magic. Oh man, it sounds yeah. really, really exciting. And do you see maybe any connections potentially in the future with how the the DNT program is run? Do you see maybe some some crossover effects at all?
1: Yeah, interesting question. So going back a few years, we had quite a lot of people coming in because we're a to K-12 campus. We had a lot of teachers from other areas of the school, you know, from junior school, kindergarten, coming into D&T labs, you know, wanting to know about plastic recycling, for example. How does it work or how does timber do this or how? We tried to do as, you know, again, as a bolt on to our week, we did things after school or gave up our free periods. So that sort of started. Then it became quite a demanding thing. So we actually ended up opening up a community lab, which was another space in the school run by an external group, Sustainable Living Lab, incredible guys, and they actually work uh, all day. They're there till about 10 o'clock at night. So it's basically a makerspace. Now, this is quite rare. You know, in a lot of schools, you'll either have a D&T department or a right. makerspace. So we have both. Mm-hmm. So the D&T curriculum can still stay within the DNT curriculum and these guys are just doing DNT and after school activities but then other teachers and other external people the C- uh, Singaporean community can come in and use the community lab so they they do a lot of work down there already with with other partners and the Ministry of Education so that sort of happened and then I think with my role innovation the plan is that people don't see it as DNT they do see it as something slightly different and I'll be using I'll be looking at other parts of the school such as like the food maybe environmental design sustainability design inclusive design, working with our elderly. We have a lot of service projects that we work with our local elderly homes and Parkinson and arthritis. So I know a lot of that sort of stuff happens in d as well, but my role is really to try and disconnect this from d to give students uh, the Mm -hmm. opportunity the students who want it because it's not going to be a curriculum remember students the opportunity to to jump on board and say right I'm really interested in AI especially in finance I've got three people I can bring in right now they're all competitors but because they're parents they're all happy to come in and say their thing and then we'll take it from there you know if if a student's got an AI idea or an app idea you know maybe maybe they can do something and work with those guys to build on that Mm -hmm. so going back to your question there will still be there will still be opportunities where we'll have to use the D&T for example we just entered this first robot competition for FRC the mm-hmm. first time ever so that's that's why I've been in school during the break as well so we've been building okay. this bloody kit that arrived from, from the US <laughs> it's a massive thing so again yes. you know that's again a lot of schools are doing FRC there's not many teachers in the school that could actually provide the support to help the students Correct. with that FRC because again you need the mechanical understanding the systems mm-hmm. understand the program there's so much behind it now I know that that could be any D&T teacher could run that but again we're mm-hmm. trying to get students to see that this isn't just D&T this is big you know, D and T is a bigger thing than just making stuff all the time. You got to link everything else together. So mm-hmm. I don't know if I've answered your question, but
0: you did answer my question. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I I kind of was curious about that because in some schools I've seen where it's let's let's have as many connections as possible, and others where there are these different pathways, so to speak. Yeah. And I, you know, and and you know, it and sometimes it ends up being something totally different. You don't know what it's going to be. You know, so that's okay too.
1: <laughs> I think I think the nice thing with this innovation role is like the students obviously there's going to be pressure on students who want to be involved in this, but there's not going to be a report at the end of term or an assessment. Mm-hmm. You know,
0: that, right. that
1: that thing just releases a lot of stress and tension from kids. It's basically, it's going to be like a real, like real work. You know, you've got an idea how we're going to get this to work. What sort of people do you need? What's the time frame? is Does he need any money behind this? Get sure. people in who can help out. So I think, I think it is quite unique and quite different.
0: Yeah, that sounds great, John. I'm, I cannot wait. Hopefully, maybe I can have you back on here in a couple of years to hear how it's gone <laughs> and see how it goes. Maybe see how much if I'm I've aged. Around. See how much we've all aged, absolutely. Yeah. I'll probably be yeah. in the
1: same room with the same headset talking to you.
0: Probably, I would probably be in the same place too. I'm with you, man. Yeah. <laughs> all right, John. So I'm just going to do a couple of quick things here for you. What book would you recommend that everyone stop right now and read?
1: I really enjoy stuff by IDEO and D School and all that kind of stuff. So one, I've just been reading Creative Confidence: um, Unleashing the Creative Potential Within Us All by the Kelly Brothers. So David Kelly, mm-hmm. obviously the big D School guy, and his yeah. brother, just talking about the past and how similar to mine, actually. You know how they were just tinkering and making and building and understanding things. And it's a re- it's a really cool book. But um, I listen to a lot more podcasts than I read books, so I really enjoy also the IDEO stuff. As IDEO, there. there is an amazing yeah. thing on food. Um, I
0: love that one that one's so good man it's,
1: it's just brilliant and then Tim Brown yeah. stuff again not trying to be naive but when I read a lot of this stuff I th- it's just it's just more of a revisiting of things because a lot of times I'm reading this I'm thinking but I'm a D&T teacher I already do all this I already know all this right. I already know about all this sort of stuff but I just like I just enjoy listening to other people's stories yeah so that's that's me yeah and i would really like in terms of inspiration I really just mm-hmm. I really, very fortunate to have a, an amazing network of colleagues all around the world. I've met people from conferences and being a speaker mm-hmm. and all sure. these things. And Facebook's the waste ed. Uh, that's a great that's a great site and just all the different d groups like Jamble with James and um, yeah. DT yeah, Networks so all those kind of things are, and your show man it's, it's great you know oh. man, those,
0: those <laughs> you're stories kind.
1: I love the stories and that's what I'm about I like listening to stories and, yeah. tell, and getting people in to tell their stories and you know just, just how difficult sometimes life is when you're trying to launch a product or yes. a brand and then and then yes. and that's how it works so that, oh, good job
0: oh thank you that's very kind and I love the stories too which is the only reason I do this really is just to talk to people and hear their stories and if we didn't do it who would do it right john i mean where else would we get it that's great if people want to get in touch with you john and hear more about your role what's the best way to get in touch with you
1: the best way is probably email. John. Okay. I'm on LinkedIn as well. I used mm-hmm. to be on Twitter. I went off that. So yeah, I went through I went through a surge of uh, being on too many social media platforms yeah. and then I just sure. jumped off it. So I'm a bit old school. I like the email. I'm not being very innovative there, but um, it helps. And then just on Facebook, I'm there as well.
0: Yeah, I'll make sure all of that is included in our show notes so that everyone can get in touch. And I know you've in some of those Facebook groups, like we mentioned with, with James and some of these others. So I'm sure people can connect with you through those ways too. So, John, this has been such a pleasure, man. I am so thankful to hear all about the exciting things you're doing and I am looking forward to continuing to stay in touch with you. I really appreciate you taking time during crazy time in our in our lifetime. No, <laughs> to, absolutely. To connect. It's just been it's been really really great to hear about your stories and I do want to stay in touch and hear all about this innovation startup that you guys are working on. And so that sounds just like so much fun. And I can't wait to hear some of the stories from that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'll be listening, carry on listening to your podcast as well (laughs) to make sure that I'm not missing out on anything because there must be other people. Hopefully there are other people out there that are trying to do similar things. And I know that Evo as well has tried to do similar things. Heck
0: yeah. That guy is moving around so fast. You never can't um, keep up with where Evo is.
1: It'd be good. Be good to continue listening to yeah. that as well. But yeah, no, thanks. Thanks very much, Jason, for inviting. Thank me Thank you show.
0: so much, John. I appreciate it. So we have a standing date to do this again in a couple of years when this innovation thing is off the ground. Okay. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> let's do it. <laughs> I right. might have to- <laughs> thanks so much. Can't wait to hear it, John. Thank you.
1: All right. Thank you, Jason.
0: I hope you enjoyed that episode of design cast i'm jason your host and i produced and created this podcast if you have any input i would love to hear from you and i look forward to seeing you again really soon